Welcome to the Maximizing Outcomes Podcast, brought to you by Jim McGovern and the McGovern Wealth Group. Achieving bigger and better results with money, family, and business isn't about creating a bigger to-do list for yourself. It's about who can help you create results without you having to do all the work. Listen as we provide uncommon perspectives, powerful resources, and experienced people that can help you maximize outcomes in your life. Let's get to the show. Hello and welcome to Maximizing Outcomes with Jim McGovern. Before I talk to Jim, audience, here's the deal. If you did not hear the last podcast, go back and listen to it. Jim is going to tell you how to make the perfect pizza. And that's all I'm going to say about it because I really want to pique your interest. You got to go back and listen to that last podcast. Jim, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Eric. How are you? I am doing fantastic. I, I'm still on a high from that last podcast, but I know today we have a different topic and uh, it's robust. So we're going to get started. What are you talking Absolutely. about? Absolutely. Yeah, we're going to talk about business owners today. And uh, we're going to talk about how to protect, grow, and exit your company. And uh, this is a lot of fun because we're very passionate about working with small business owners in our practice. And uh, I just love hearing about when I meet an owner for the first time. I love hearing the story about their business because no two stories are ever the same. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, sometimes companies are started uh, just because, you know, someone had an idea at one point and literally nobody would listen to them. And they go, I have to start a company in order to, uh, to get this idea off the ground. Uh, so it's it's always fun to, to to talk with owners and hear their story and then look at really what we can do to help shape that company for future success. Yeah, absolutely. When I, when I think of business development, I always think of an invention, right? Somebody invented something because they saw a need, they saw a niche, they saw something that nobody else was doing, or they thought of a new product for the market and they invent something. And I think that's the process of a, a small business. Oh, it's great. And then, you know, sometimes these businesses are so successful, they're able to you know, pass down from... You know, from grandparents to parents to the kids. And you know, sometimes people are, are able to expand and acquire other companies. And it's always an interesting journey. So uh, you know, companies always come in different shapes and sizes. And uh, you know they also have different financial concerns. Mm -hmm. So the owners that I work with, I mean, they, these people put in long hours. They're always wearing different hats. They're being pulled in a lot of different directions. And in the life of a business, it's a lot of ups and downs. There's definitely no shortage of stress. Constantly worrying about the company and trying to take care of your family and your employees and your customers. And, you know, it's just, there's just always something going on here. Yeah. So, you know, we want to talk a little bit today about, you know, companies that are closely held. You know, these are companies that are sometimes just one owner, sometimes there's five or six owners. But, you know, we're going to differentiate the smaller, closely held companies from some of these mega sized companies that are publicly traded on the stock exchange. I mean, they're both companies, they definitely have some similarities. But there's really big differences and some action steps and planning techniques that owners really need to be aware of because you know they're not large publicly traded companies. So we want to just make sure that they have a clear process and a clear path to follow so that they can protect the company they've built to this point. They can position this company for growth for the future. Mm -hmm. uh, but ultimately, every business owner eventually leaves their business. So we want to make sure they're able to exit on their terms. Okay. So Sounds good to me. Let's you ready to dive in here and we'll talk about the the differences between small businesses and publicly traded companies. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, what's similar about them? I mean, obviously, they both have products and services. Otherwise, they wouldn't exist. <laughs> both have employees. They have vendors. There's suppliers. Uh, there's definitely no shortage of bills to pay. But the thing is, they both have owners as well. Uh, it's just the owners are a lot different. So, if you look at a publicly traded company, you know, pick your favorite stock, for example. There are tens of thousands, if not millions of owners of that business. That's what the shareholders are. Mm -hmm. They're the owners of the company. But a closely held company, they may only have one owner. 
there may be a sole proprietorship, or maybe there's a partnership, maybe there's two or three or four people. So this is a really big deal because if you think about this publicly traded company and you're a stockholder in some big stock and you decide you don't want to be part of that business anymore, how long does it take to get out of that company? About 10 seconds. That's it. By the time you log into your online trading account and hit mm -hmm. the sell button, gone, and someone else picks up those shares. So that's a very liquid, ready-made market that will scoop up those shares. So you can be a, an owner of a business in one second, and then you're not the next. But if you're a small business owner trying to get out of your company, uh, I have some owners that you know it took them months to get out of their company. I have several that have taken years to get out. I've had others that there was no way out. There really wasn't a market to buy their company. It wasn't a business that could be sold. Hmm. So when you think about your influence on a publicly traded company, so if I own stock in XYZ Inc., I don't really influence the direction of that company. I don't go to the office. I'm a passive owner. And you know, if I die, if I'm disabled, there's literally zero impact on that company. So think of any major stock, whatever your favorite stock is. I guarantee you yesterday, somewhere in America, one of those shareholders died. You know, yeah. probably several shareholders died. There's people that were disabled and literally there's no impact on the business whatsoever. And that's a really big distinguishing point when we look at a closely held business is that you know that business owner, sometimes just taking a vacation, the business feels the pinch. Yeah. An owner has a, a huge impact on the company's performance, the, the management structure, uh, absolutely the culture, how this company performs. So if an owner dies or if an owner becomes disabled, can this company even survive? And that's a question mark. A lot of owners don't like to think about that, but it, it's a real threat. It's not just that the business is impacted here. It's like, what about the value of that company? It, it probably tanks. Now, what about the employees? They get to keep their jobs. So that's why it's important to have this roadmap to follow. Um, it's not just important for you and your immediate family, but this is also critical for any other owners of this business. It's important for the employees and the customers that you serve. So I think it's easy to start to think about this in terms of complexity. And you know how complex is my business? So when you, when you think about complexities, it's a lot easier to outline what are the steps that I should be taking as an owner. So when you think about complexity here, one of the easiest ways to compartmentalize this a bit is just to ask yourself if you own a business is, do I have any key people? So if you are a business and you think about your company, what is a key person? It, it's really the people that have a very meaningful impact on this company's success and the company's bottom line that without these people, sure, you can replace them at some point, but at what cost mm -hmm. and what kind of headaches and what kind of revenue do you lose in the meantime? So again, you can certainly fill these jobs, but I mean, especially in the job environment we're in right now, I mean, it, it's really tough to find really good people. So if your very best performers didn't show up, is that going to be a bad week for you in the company? Or is that going to turn into a bad month, a bad year? So start to think through, you know, how much revenue am I going to lose if these key people are gone? So if you're an owner, you're listening to this and you're going, well, I don't really have any key people. And maybe this is a one owner business, or maybe this is maybe two or three owners, but there's no key people. That means you as the owner, you are the key person, mm -hmm. right? So you may be getting a great income stream for yourself and your family, but the business may not have any transferable value. Because you as the owner, you have to be there. And if you aren't present, this company might not be worth anything at all, or it's worth very little. So let me give you an example. Um, there's tons of different companies that, that fit this kind of a criteria. But think of people that are in the consulting world. 
or I think real estate brokers are an easy example here. Uh, yes, you're a business owner, but at the current time, if there's no key people, what you really own is your job and you can't sell your job. And sometimes this is by design. It's just, a, it's a, it's a simpler way to, uh, to operate. Again, if you're making a, a great living, you know, you may not want to make any changes. That's fine. Sometimes it's just by default. Uh, a lot of owners that I meet, they're on their way to creating a company with transferable value. They just aren't there at the, at the current moment. So when you think about the planning for these kinds of businesses, this really starts with personal planning with a bit of a different look and feel. And we take really some unique considerations and recognize that you are an owner. You're going to have ups and downs in your business. You're going to have ups and downs in your family life. And you have to position your wealth to fuel that business growth. So you're probably not going to find a better return on your money than an investment in yourself and an investment in your business. So you have to position your own personal wealth so that it can support and fuel business growth for the future. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So when we think about some of these, uh, these risks, again, these business owners have these unique risks. You have to be nimble. You have to be resilient. I very much encourage business owners to maintain a lot of liquidity in their own personal balance sheets and have that flexibility. But too many times people will not value their company. They don't really know what it's really worth. They think it's worth a lot more, but again, it may not be marketable and they don't find out until much later in life that this business is not transferable. Mm. So I always encourage owners to work on your personal planning and start to build personal wealth outside of the company so that when you reach the end of uh, your career and you want to exit the company, you don't have to sell it for some huge amount of money in order just to have a, a comfortable retirement. Jim, do you think it's because a lot of times the business owner is so um, charismatic, uh, they're so good with client interactions that it becomes a situation where if the business owner is gone, the the accounts aren't going to trust the next, not necessarily the next generation. If it was a family business, that's a different thing. The new owners, uh, the main person is gone. He or she has exited the company. That's who I had a relationship with. So now I'm looking for another company to do business with. Is that kind of what we're talking about here as far as that's the owner is the key person because they own all the relationships? It, sometimes it is that. It's they own the relationships. You look at the business owner and there is an awful lot of talent there. If it's a successful company, uh, mm -hmm. you know, especially if this is the owner that founded the company, they probably have done every single job in the company. Yeah. You know, they've been everything from the HR department to the CFO. They've been the sales, you know, leader in the company. They're, they've probably even been the janitor from time to time. And they know how to do everything and they have their fingers and everything. Then you take them out of it. It's like, well, nobody else has that level of talent. So certainly if an owner owns all those customer relationships and you take them out of the picture, there's real risk there that a new owner comes in and says, well, wait a minute, this is a personality driven company. Mm -hmm. This is a big personality. If they're out of the equation, are all these other customers going to stay? Yeah. So again, definitely these are conversations that have to be had if an owner is really trying to create some transferable value. And they may not. There are some businesses they just go, we're just going to shut down when I'm done. You know, it could be a missed opportunity there, but I, I think what you, what you said was dead on. Yeah. All right. So let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about a medium complexity business. So this is a company that's thinking about key people and they're going, yeah, we do have key people. Uh, may still only have one owner or there might be multiple owners. But now you're starting to look at something that has transferable value. So again, the owners, you still have to take care of the, your personal planning, right? But now you start to think about, I've got relationships with co-owners and there's certain agreements in place or there should be agreements in place. Uh, we have key employees. They're important. We want to incentivize to stick around. 
We have non-key employees we have to take care of. And we want to make sure that if there are some really severe hiccups along the way, that this business is set up to continue to survive, if not thrive in the future, even in the face of some really tough situations. So this is what leads us into the topics I mentioned at the top of the, the show is that there's really three phases to business planning. You know, we want to protect the company and where it is right now. That's step number one. Step number two is we want to position the company to grow. And then step number three is what's the exit path going to be? Mm. So this is not all done at one time. I, I wish it could be done quickly, but just like in our personal planning process, you know, it, it takes several conversations spaced out over a reasonable time frame to get through all these different things. But with a business case like this, it can kind of come and go in spurts. You know, it might be, hey, right now, that makes sense. Let's protect the value of the company right now. Let's protect the cash flow the company is producing. And let's protect the company's ability to continue. And that may be it for right now. We may get to the growth phase later. Later might be two quarters from now, might be two or three years from now. But this is an ongoing process and a framework that you can stick with uh, over a long period of time. So let's spend a little bit of time just talking about those each of those three steps. Again, protect, grow, and exit. When you're thinking about protecting the cash flow of the company, and go back to what I was saying earlier about the differences between a small business and a publicly traded company, if that owner dies or is disabled, it's a big time hit to the company. It's a big time hit to personal cash flows. So we want to look through the company balance sheet, the personal balance sheet, look through things like insurance policies, and just make sure you have the proper protections in place to keep cash flow coming in the door in the face of a death or disability of an owner. Mm -hmm. uh, same thing for Keep. I was with a company recently where they had a salesperson that was responsible for almost 90% of the revenue in the company. Wow. And that's what they said, wow, in kind of a funny way. It's like, wow, it's amazing. And wow, it's like really scary at the same time. Exactly. And they're thinking, well, what if this key person quits? What if they retire early? What if they die or become disabled? And it was a serious threat. So we have to think through these things. Uh, but we also have to think about other things that produce cash flow and revenue that are maybe not quite as obvious, like intellectual property and non-competes and making sure that your best ideas don't leave. Uh, that mm -hmm. also is part of protecting cash flow. So we have to look, look at legal documents, right? We think about protecting the company's value. You know, if the business lives and dies off of its cash flow, and that's how it's valued. And again, if that, if that cash flow takes a huge hit because of the death of an owner, I mean, the whole company's value can absolutely plummet. So we want to make sure that we're doing everything we can to protect that, uh, that, that valuation that the company has currently. And then the last piece is protecting the business viability. So we want to look at things like operating agreements, uh, buy-sell agreements, look at things like loan covenants, all the company's financials, and really just show a, a business owner in a fairly bottom-line fashion. Like, these are the threats that you have. Here's the areas where you're already optimized. You're doing the best you can. Nice third-party verification that nothing to worry about here. But then there's a lot of times we start to stress test this plan right in front of the owner, and there's no protection at all in certain places. It's huge vulnerabilities, and just no one's ever had this conversation. So it, it can be quite eye-opening, but it can be pretty critical because if you think about exiting your business, you probably have some time to figure that out, right? It, it, every once in a while, of course, a company gets an offer out of nowhere. Uh, it's not always the case, right? But something like a death or a disability of a of an owner, that is an unannounced, unexpected event that can occur to, to anybody at any time. So it's important to have the tough conversations now before it's too late. So let's shift gears and let's talk a little bit about growing the company. Because most of the owners that I meet with aren't ready to exit the company right this minute. There are definitely a few that go, I've kind of had it. If somebody offered me 
half of what I think I can get for this place today, I take it. Mm-hmm. But, but a lot of times the owners that I work with, I mean, they're, they're passionate about their company. Uh, you know, they're really looking at an exit. It's probably, you know, maybe five to 10 years away, but the value of the company isn't quite where they need it to be to meet their own personal wealth objectives. So the most important resource of the business is typically those key people. So if you think of the very best people in your company and think if they quit today, think about the customer relationships. This is what you were saying earlier, Eric. I mean, are those customer relationships gone if the key people are gone? Uh, Think about the sales that are lost. Think about the services that you're going to have a much harder time providing to your customers. What about uh, processes? If you onboard somebody new, how long is it going to take to train those those people to get them up and running to be that same peak performance of these key people? It, It could take a really long time period or maybe never. Mm-hmm. So every business owner that I work with has this similar struggle. They're really trying to find great people. There's a lot of companies I work with right now that they're going, if I can just hire another 15, 20 people, I could double the size of my company. I just can't find the people. So when you find great people, it can drive revenue. It can drive culture. It can drive value. And you have to have a way to incentivize these people and retain them for the long haul. Uh, that's not only good for you, but you can also make it very attractive for them. So, you know, when you look at your employee base, every single person that works for your company does not have the same impact on the company's success. There's a disproportionate impact that key people tend to have on that company's performance. So when you think about how do you incentivize these people, you know, almost every company nowadays, once it reaches a certain level of success, I mean, everybody offers group benefits. It's one of the first thing an employee asks for in an interview is, you know, what are your benefits like? You know, do you have things like a retirement account? Do you have group medical, group life, group disability, all these things. So those are important. All employees value those things. If you add to that some kind of a performance incentive, which is very common for, for companies, they have you know a bonus program for their best people. They're nice. I would never recommend you take those things away, but they don't really retain people for the long haul. Those kinds of benefits and performance incentives tend to keep people on board for maybe 12 months or so, 18 months to most. And odds are, if there's a competing company that's going after your best people, they probably have similar benefits and similar retirement plans that you do. So there's nothing really there that's differentiating that company and saying to this key person, hey, this place is worth sticking to perhaps for the rest of your career. So a lot of times you think about growing the value of the company, you can do a lot of progress in that area by simply creating retention incentives instead of just having performance incentives. So retentions incentives are a completely different ballgame. So we're trying to look at a way to incentivize our very best people to stay with the company for a really long time period and incentivize them to drive revenues, which in turn increases the value for the owner. Mm-hmm. So you're just we're just trying to align the long-term tenure of the top performers of the company with the owner's growth and business objectives. And these retention plans are really critical for all this. So that starts to put you on the path towards the exit strategy. So Eric, I'm sure you've heard the saying that nothing is certain in life except death and taxes. Oh yeah. Does that ring a bell? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't like that phrase. Yeah. It's a great phrase, right? Yeah, <laughs> uh, I like to add one more to that. It's like, yeah, there's nothing certain but death and taxes and the fact that the owner will eventually leave the company. It's a 100% mm-hmm. probability that every owner of every company will eventually leave. And sometimes it's as expected, right? They plan the exit. It happened on their time, on their, uh, you know, on on their grounds, basically. They created the rule book for it. They said, this is how we're going to exit. But there's a lot of other times where that exit is unplanned. 
it's untimely. It's uh, sometimes it's pleasant, sometimes it's ugly. So we want to think about the exit in the time frame the owner desires, and think about the three doors that every owner can walk through. Again, we're talking about successful companies here. I'm not talking about a company that's failing and just going to shut their doors one day. We're talking about a company that has built some value. It's a successful company. It has the ability to stay in business. It's just the owner wants out. So the three doors are, you can transition this company to people inside the business. So that might be family members. You might have kids that are in the company that you're grooming to someday take over for you. That's great. But it might also be you're going to transition this to key people inside of the company. So that is an exit path that has all sorts of different complications. Typically, the people inside the business don't have the money to buy this company with cash from the owner. So we have to think of a way to get the most amount of money after tax for the owner without at the same time burying these key people in debt or burying them in cash flow pressure that the business itself can't survive. So we have to be creative with how we do this, where the owner can maintain as much control as they desire for as long as they possibly can. And they're only giving up control to the last possible minute, maybe even have clawback provisions so that if things don't go well with the key people, they can get their own company back. Right. But we want to make sure that it's a win-win. And a lot of times it's the tax situation that really complicates this and makes it more difficult. That a lot of people just think, well, I'm just going to take uh, my company, I'm going to sell it to my uh, my five key people, but they don't think about how the money flows through from the business to the key people over to the owner, and too often it creates the most pressure for the owner, the most pressure for the key people. They pay the absolute highest amount in tax, and the owner loses the most amount of control. So there ends up being this double tax effect because the company has to make sales. They have to cover their overhead and have profit left over. And that profit passes to the key people who are now the new owners of the company. And they pay tax on that. And then they take their money and they pass it to you as the, as the owner who sold the company in the form of a payment. And now you have to pay tax on it. So we've seen situations where you know, I was with somebody a couple of weeks ago and they go, yeah, my, my dad sold a company and he, he's just getting crushed in taxes. And I don't want the same thing to happen to me. And I'm like, yeah, he's probably paying a equivalent tax rate of 55 to 65%. He's like, yeah, it sounds about right. So there are better ways to plan for this. You just can't wait till the last possible second. There's a mm -hmm. lot of ways to get that net after-tax cash flow that you're looking for without making it uh, such a huge burden and, and a, frankly, a big mess. So that's door number one. You can transition to key people. Door number two is you can do a third-party sale. That's a very different exit. Here you're typically dealing with a, you know, maybe a professional buyer, you know, somebody who's bought and sold many businesses in the past, uh, where you're getting cash up front. You aren't required to hold a note. It's just a different kind of an exit. One of the first things that those companies are going to want to know once they study the financials is they want to know about these key people. You know, you have these four or five people that drive 90% of your revenue. What kind of insurance assurances do we have that they aren't going to walk out the door when you do? So again, sometimes in these, these businesses, they're tight knit. You've, you've hired these people, you've trained them, you've groomed them, you've had family barbecues together and you've taken care of them. And they're going, you know, it's just not the same here. Eric, without you, I just don't want to work here anymore. All right. So we have to have a way to keep these people engaged and keep them incentivized and frankly profiting well through that exit. And if a, if a new owner is coming in saying, Great. I bet the top people locked down for two or three years after I buy this business. It gives me some peace of mind at night knowing that, okay, I'm not going to walk into my brand new company I just bought and there's nobody there, mm. including my customers. Yeah. The third option is just to keep the company until you die. 
And that might sound, that means you're literally going to work until the day you die. That sometimes is the case. It doesn't have to be that way. But this is where an owner sometimes was thinking about a third-party sale. They're going, you know what? I just want to get out of this thing. I want to cash out and ride off into the sunset. But then you think about what they do with the money and the cash flow that that produces once they're investing it. And then you compare it to just what if you kept the company? What if instead of selling the business, you simply hired a CEO and you hired a management team and you paid people to run your business for you and you get to keep this company and keep the growth and keep the cash flow? Is that a more valuable proposition for you? And does that help you establish generational wealth? So there isn't any one correct door, but you have to be planning in a way where you're walking towards a door that you want, but you have to be ready for that door to suddenly close. And I think I mentioned in our very first episode that you know I grew up in a family with my dad being a small business owner and family dynamics in a small business can be kind of tough. I mean, I, I was lucky and my old man, I always say to this day, he was always my hero growing up him and my mom. And I worked in the business uh, a couple of summers. And if my dad had came to me and said, hey, you need to be the one who takes this company over out of just sheer loyalty and respect for my old man, I would have done it. And when he told me one day he was selling the company, I was like, this is awesome. Right? Because I do not want to do this for a living. Right. So sometimes we see that is that we see owners who go, yeah, I'm going to transition this to my kids. And we're like, that's great. If you told your kids mm -hmm. like, well, I didn't tell them yet, but I'm pretty sure they're going to want to take this over. I'm like, you guys should probably carve out some time and have a really honest conversation because that might not even be what your kids want. So here's an owner thinking that this is going to be great. I'm going to transition this to them. And that door kind of closes. They're going, hey, dad, I, I just don't want to do this. Yeah. Right. So you have to be kind of preparing for all three at once, even though that you have your preferred door. It, it's a bit of a process. So Jim, yeah, I mean, it's it that scenario that you just described. I don't have the same scenario, but I can tell you that I worked for a family business uh, years and years and years ago. I was in my early 20s. And uh, it was the mother and father had developed the business. The father was the main driver. The mother was, she did more of the HR and then bookkeeping and things. I mean, she was, you know, she was a wizard with numbers. They had three kids and all three children were in the business. All three children, they went to college, but they worked there during summers. And then eventually they worked in the business. Um, but here's the thing is that the people that were around, the, the company was about 20 people and the other executives within the company were seeing the kids working in the business, but the maturity wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And I remember the owner talking about, you know, we're going to transition this business to our kids. And there was a meeting. I was not part of it because I was not in the executive team on this by any means, but I was friends with one of the guys it was. And he very clearly told me, he goes, I'm just going to have to tell them if this is, if they're going to try to transition the business to these three or the main, the older two, I'm done. I'm leaving because he just saw disaster ahead because the maturity level, they were not ready. They were still in a party mode. They weren't taking it seriously. And as much as, as parents, we like to see the best in our children, the people around them see their, see, you know, okay, they're coming in hungover. That's a problem. That's a problem. Um, yeah. And so the executive team told them, if you transition this to them, we're going to be leaving. There's, there was three of them that were the main drivers of the entire company, had the relationships with the clients and they're like, we're not going to be under them as far as whatever. And so they gave them some options and just said, Hey, look, we'd love to help steer the company and continue to grow it with them, but as part owners. 
And so we can help guide the companies that have some assurances. So they did map out something. I left the company before the transition ever happened, but I know the company's still around. I know the kids are involved and now they have the maturity to help lead. But what got them through was the executive team that had been there with mom and dad for a decade or longer and understood where the company needed to go and understood better than the children did. But without an open discussion, without them being bold enough to say, look, we'll be leaving if this happens. And the parents knew that the business would just absolutely crash if that happened. So there's so many different variables, right? right. I mean, and so I love this topic. I think this is great. Um, what do you have in, in summary for today's podcast? So, I mean, Eric, that, that's a story that we see play out again and again and again. And that's why this stuff can take some time. I mean, there's a lot of, of business variables and dynamics to deal with, but we're also dealing with people that you love. I mean, it's, this is... Yeah. It's the owner's kids and they want to do what's right for them. But at the same time, they also have to play this mental tug of war. They have to do what's right for the business and, and these other people. So it's a process. Too often this stuff is handled just transactionally. It's like, you know what? I don't have time to think about that right now. Let's just, let's go fix the 401k and hey, we need to do some tax planning. And, you know, I, I just think a lot of owners, they start to, they start to feel like they're operating out of a junk drawer. Yeah. You know, they've got all this stuff going on and it's, they may be able to make sense of it just because they're the, the ones that have been doing all this stuff for all these years. But it, it's tough for somebody just to step into their shoes and handle this. And you know, the owners, because they're pulled in so many different directions, they don't have a lot of time. So that's why we think having a clear process and a path to follow can really make this easier. And, and that just positions them to exploit opportunities and also helps them stay clear of those landmines because there's no shortage of them out there. Yeah. And you know, it's a process. It's a team sport. It's an ongoing relationship and you have to pull in a handful of your existing team members, like your CPA and your attorney. And there might be other people that you need, like, like a case, like you just mentioned, there are some professionals that, that, that specialize in dealing with the family, uh, personality dynamics, I'll call it right. Mm -hmm. Sometimes yeah. it's, it's conflict, but it, it, you know, there's professionals that, that are expert in that. And, and they can help you have those tough conversations. They can provide that format to move the company and the people all down the right path. So yeah, so this planning comes in spurts. And uh, you know, if it's a topic that you're like, yeah, you know, I think I need to dive into this a little bit. And we, we've got white papers and articles and conversations we can have to give you a framework. We've got some great software that we use to, to track this stuff. So pour your life and in, in, in your heart and soul, blood, sweat, and tears into your company. And uh, there, there's no reason to leave some of these things a chance because a lot of this is easily planned for if you just give it a little bit of time. Yeah, absolutely. Great final point. Jim, thank you so much for the conversation today and the content. It was fantastic. Thank you, Eric. You bet. No, it's my pleasure. Again, thank you, Jim. And of course, our last thank you goes to you, listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Maximizing Outcomes podcast with Jim McGovern. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Jim comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, right? And leave a review as this actually does help others find the show. And this one, I'm just asking to think right now, think of a couple people that you know, that maybe are business owners that need to be thinking about this. This is a great subtle way for you to, hey, you may want to be thinking about what this future looks like because maybe they've been talking about exiting or maybe you know that their kids are coming in hungover. Who knows? I don't know. Just share it with them, would you? Because that'll help. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at McGovern Wealth Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Maximizing Outcomes podcast brought to you by Jim McGovern and the McGovern Wealth Group. Be sure to follow the show to be notified when new episodes become available. To suggest a topic or guest for a future episode, 
or learn more about how we can help to maximize outcomes in your life, visit our website at www.mcgovernwealth.com. This podcast is intended for general public use and is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or McGovern Wealth Group, and opinions stated are their own. By providing this content, Park Avenue Securities, LLC, is not undertaking to provide investment advice or a recommendation for any specific individual or situation or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. Please contact a financial representative for guidance and information that is specific to your individual situation. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. Jim McGovern is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS. Member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. McGovern Wealth Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. CA Insurance License Number. 0F67329. AR Insurance License Number 7119103. California Insurance License Number 0F67329. Arkansas Insurance License Number 7119103. Compliance Number 2022 143210 expires September 2024.